Welcome again to another episode of 10 Minutes with the Master Enchilada Roller, Russell Ibarra. And you are listening to ZZ Top, Sharp Dressed Man. And the reason I picked that song, uh, you'll have to find out. And just continue listening, and you'll find out why I picked it. But anyway, so uh, my, my special guest today is Mr. Captain George Dodge. And George and I, we've known each other for a couple of years, and I've really got to, I've really enjoyed getting to know George a super person, outgoing, um, charismatic. I mean, just the kind of guy you want to be around because he's so damn positive. And I like that in people. So welcome, George, to the, to the show. And, um, and I hope people will enjoy your story. Thank you. And as I always say, I'm just happy to be here, sir. Yeah, me too. People ask me how I'm doing. I said, look, I got out of bed on my own. I'm a happy man. You got it. So anyway, the reason I had uh, Captain George Dodge come in today is because he started a company many years ago in the 70s uh, by the name of Western Airways. Was that the name of the company when you first started it? No, it started, it was, the original name uh, was Westside Airways. Westside. Uh, first airport I started was at Androw Airport, which is on the west side of town, off of Westheimer. Not there anymore. Okay, so before we go into that area of uh, of your your life with uh, airplanes, I want to go back to see, find out when did you first fall in love with airplanes. So when did that happen? How did that happen? I'm not exactly sure, but just somewhere along the way, my father had been a pilot in the Air Force, and so I was around airplanes growing up. And um, just from there, it kind of uh, evolved into me going into the Air Force myself. I was a maintenance guy there, worked on F-105s and uh, fighters in a fighter squadron there and um, got out, decided to use my veterans benefits for education and uh, got on my air- aircraft ratings, flight instructor, jet ratings and such as that, thanks to the, uh, the U.S. government. And um, now you said one, uh, 105s, that's, that's F- what they call them? F-105s, it was a fighter who, bomber. Who built that plane? That was Republic. Republic, okay. Yeah, it's right. it a big single engine, uh, Pratt and Whitney engine. They, they don't that that company's not in business any longer, right? They don't make planes I, still. I'm or not do? sure if Republic is or not. Kind of lost track of that. But that plane dropped bombs, correct? It was a fighter bomber, so it did both. Oh wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that means it, it's there were a lot to... of those during the Vietnam War, and uh, there were quite a few. Uh, was lost. that the was that the kind of plane that dropped that uh, napalm that uh, Forrest Gump was running from with uh, carrying uh, Bubba? I think he was carrying Bubba. It, well, I don't know if that was the one, but uh, <laughs> it's kind it of like one that. of those types. Yeah, yes. they, they, they was, go really fast. Yes, very twice, fast. Uh, twice the speed of sound. Correct. That's moving. And it was one of the fastest jets at the time. So when you started Western Airways, what what year was that? That was nineteen seventy four, seventy five area. And and you started uh, your slogan was uh, one plane, one pilot. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, that was how it started. It was just me and one airplane to begin with. I quit an airline job where I quit as captain there and just decided to uh, actually get an SBA loan. Like it's in the news now, the SBA loans are. So I got an SBA loan for $43,000 and bought a little single-engine airplane. What was it a Cessna? It was a Piper. Piper, okay. Piper Cherokee 6. Now, did the wheels go up on that one, or did they, no. were they, they didn't have stationary? No, they were stationary, and uh, it wasn't very fast, but uh, we weren't going very many places at the time, just around uh, Texas and, and Louisiana. The first time I flew in an airplane was uh, when I was seven or eight years old. Um, our team had uh, our little league baseball team had won the championship, and uh, David Hyde, or no, not David, that was his son. He he grew up with me, but anyway, Hyde Flying Services here in Laporte at Laporte Airport. He took all the players up in a little Cessna, I think two or three at a time, and uh, just did a little circle and came back and. 
and uh and i enjoyed it but uh that's not really when i fell in love with airplanes actually um and i've told the story before but the first time i flew in a real jet as far as a business jet was when i caught a ride with tillman fertita from austin to houston and wheels up wheels down it was 28 minutes this is back in 2004 mm-hmm. i believe it was and it was it was it was an incredible feeling and so ever since then i've just fell in love with aviation it's a it's an expensive um uh, love because um it's it's definitely not cheap but uh, you know we um i just i just enjoy and i look forward to flying more often uh, as you know we had a, pl- a couple planes but the most recent plane we had we sold it uh back in december and we had for three and a half years and and i enjoyed it it was it was fun but yeah uh, you, you have you really have to fly a lot to justify owning one and we just didn't have enough places to go to. And so I'll, if I do anything, I'll just charter from this point on. So how many hours do you have uh, flying? I uh, have over 20,000 hours. Don't really keep track anymore. 20,000. So you don't have a log that you continue with or you just. No, I don't need to because uh, I'm not looking for a job. Okay. And so that's why you keep track of that. So 20,000 hours. That's like 833 days of continuous flying, 24-hour days, continuous flying. Correct. So you've lived in the air. I remember this one pilot telling me that he really uh, enjoyed it, Joyce flying, because he says that's the best office uh, view of anyone uh, that anyone can have. And uh, that we were flying back from, I think it was Aspen, in a uh, Lear 35, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, so yep. we were we were way up there. I think we we're at forty three thousand feet. We we're way way up there, and he says the best office view anyone could ever could ever hope for. Oh yeah. But anyway, so when you um, when you started the company, um, did you have a partner, or when did you bring on your first partner or your second pilot? Yeah, I never had any partners. It was just me and uh, the one airplane and uh, the SBA loan that I had, and um, so I. Uh, I think I hired my first pilot after about the first year, and uh, he just recently retired as the captain for American Airlines. Believe it or not, he came into town to, to visit with me. And um, um, you know, a lot of times people think that uh, new is best, but like when it comes to pilots and when it comes to planes, the older the pilot, the better, and the older the plane, the better, because that means that plane's flown a lot of missions mm-hmm. uh, safely. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's not the new ones; it's the old ones, and and the 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 Boeing 737 Max proves that. I mean, here's a brand new plane, and uh, they had issues with it and a couple of crashes and killed a lot of people. Yeah, sometimes I, I believe, and a lot of us um, more experienced pilots believe that they are becoming a little bit too complicated. Right. And as the more complicated, the more potential issues you can have. And that's one, one reason if the 737 Max is a good example of that. Right. So what was the most number of planes that you had under i guess ownership and Fleet. management yeah we uh i would say the most i had was around 33 aircraft mostly were jets and then uh, about eight or nine of those were prop jets mostly king air 200s which is a nice prop jet airplane yeah i believe the king airs uh, they have a, an extremely great safety record correct oh yeah I don't think there's one that's crashed, has there? Or oh, there've been a few crashes, but uh, they're really a very safe airplane, and uh, we like to. I like to say it has a big wing on it, so it's uh, easy handling. Comes in and lands real slow, which is what you like. Uses li- not doesn't use much runway, and uh, it's a good all around safe airplane. What's your favorite jet? If if you had to pick one, yeah, I would have to say. 
I was my last one that I was captain rated on was a Citation Ten. It's the fast, oh, yeah. fastest business jet in the world. Right. I ha- I've yet to fly on one of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward it was, to it. It's, it's an eight seater plane, um, eight full seats, um, executive seats or whatever you want to call them. But yeah, uh, I, I, they, they're an incredible looking plane just when they sit on the tarmac. I mean, they're just. They look mean. Yes, it had huge engines and uh, lots of power and um, goes to 51,000 feet. And it was so powerful and strong. It loved being up there at, say, 45, 46, 47,000. We always cruise about that altitude if we could have a long enough flight. And it could make it from, I believe, from New York to L.A. And how, how, how quick? Three, three hours at, or three or four hours? Oh, like gosh. That. it's uh, I forgot those numbers, but... Uh, it flies at almost the speed of sound. It's 92% speed of sound, so well over 600 miles per hour. Wow. It's just normal cruise speed. There's nothing like getting a good tailwind. Yes. A tailwind can add some speed to you real quick. I've seen ground speeds in that airplane coming from the West Coast um, of over 700 miles per hour ground speed. Wow. That is that's really flying. No yeah. pun intended, but that's really moving. Correct. So, um, yeah, one day I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll charter one and uh, – who knows? You may come along with us so we yeah. can have that third pilot. Yes, perfect. So um, obviously you've you've flown a lot of uh, famous people over the over the years, and this is one of the reasons for the bump music, uh, sharp dressed man. So uh, who did you fly around? We've flown many many people through the years, and um, oh, the band ZZ Top. We've flown quite a bit in the past, and uh, Billy Gibbons, and all three of them are good guys, Dusty and Frank. Uh, Frank Beard. Frank Beard. The only one that doesn't have a beard. Yeah. <laughs> and Billy's quite a guy. I've known him. He's he's the one I see from time to time. And uh, I, I really enjoyed their documentary on Netflix. Yes. I mean, if, if you have not seen it, uh, whoever, who, anyone listening, if you have not seen it, see it. It is done so well. And I love the way the name ZZ Top came about. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, a, that was a great story. And it's just a great Texas band, you know, Texas institution. Well, I like about them, they're just genuinely nice guys. Right, right. Because, I mean, you know, they started like a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they they scraped and clawed to get where they're at, and here they are, and they really enjoy that and appreciate it. I know I do, and I know you you do as well. Uh, so uh, who else have you flown? Uh, that, that I would say, gosh, through the years, many um, famous people and many that are just good people and presidents and CEOs of big companies and um, wealthy people. Not so wealthy people, just all around. Um, I would say probably the one that I really enjoyed a lot was President Bush Sr. He was just a genuinely a nice guy. That's all I've ever heard about. You know, and it's funny. I always tell people that um, you may only meet someone one time in your entire life, but that impression you you Mm. leave with them will last forever. And that's why you should be nice to every single person you meet, because that's how they're going to remember you. And that's it. And they're going to talk about you from that point forward. And why not be nice so they'll talk about you as being a nice person? I sti- yes, I still have a couple of tie clasps, a presidential tie clasps and pins that, that he would give to the pilots whenever we would fly him. First thing when we got off the airplane, he would let the pilots take pictures with him before anybody else. And he always was very nice to, to the pilot. Of course, he was a pilot himself in World War II and that's quite right. a guy. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, um, I met his son, W., uh, back in 2005, I was on stage at this conference in Washington, D.C., and I was one of four individuals that were picked to talk to uh, President Bush about Social Security reform. 
and it was just six of us on stage. And so to my left was one of his aides and to my right was George Bush. And it had to be had to been the most surreal moment of my life because here I am sitting next to the president of the United States and the event uh, took place in the morning around 10 a.m. And it lasted for about an hour. And the first 30 minutes, uh, uh, President Bush was just talking about uh, he had made an announcement. They had uh, either captured or killed a, a terrorist. And he was talking and talking. And I didn't know when I was going to have my opportunity to, to speak. And and I caught myself daydreaming. And I said, oh, no, I can't do that, because if he calls on me, he's going to ask me, Russell, uh, he'll ask me a question. I'll have to say, uh, President, uh, sir, could you please repeat that? <laughs> and I would look silly. But the one thing I do remember is um, as I was sitting there and, and, and as, as he was speaking to the crowd, uh, he would pan over to my left or to his left at where I was sitting. And all the cameras, all the reporters, their shutters, the camera shutter just going off in rapid succession. And and. um it was just a very surreal moment. But one of the things I mentioned to uh, W, because we were talking about social security reform, was that if, uh, and this was when he was trying to give uh, ownership to people to, to manage some of their own future, some of their own uh, retirement money through social security taxes, that uh, if, if an individual uh, had more control of their own money, they would be more productive as an individual, and then therefore as society or our country would be more productive. And he obviously agreed with that, and he reiterated it uh, a couple times that that's the reason behind it. So, but anyway, so a funny story to that. When I was there, and I introduced myself, I uh, I said uh, something to the fact that we're neighbors because I was from Texas, he's from Texas, and I said um, I called myself Un Tejano, uh, like him, a Texan. Uh, and whenever the transcripts came out on the White House transcripts, uh, instead of uh, Un, which means one or a uh, Tejano, it said United Nations Tejano, because whoever transcribed it, whatever, uh, took the UN as United Nations. Oh, yeah. Or Un as United Nations. Anyway, that was just a little side story to that story. Yeah. But um, so anyway, you're, uh, how long, you opened up your Western Airways in, in Sugarland, Texas. No, I opened it in, uh, it was in Houston on the west side of town. And 1974, 75, um, but as I said, I bought that little small airplane to start the company with, with an SBA loan, and um, grew it from there. Somewhere along the way, I think in the 80s, I saw that um, Western Airlines had gone out of business or had been purchased right. by Delta Airlines, and I said, Perfect. I like I like that name Western. That's right. So I applied for it. I actually got it. So I changed the name to Western Airways. Okay. So that was a, a good name, and it's still called Western Airways. So today, Western Airways is located in Sugarland. Yes. Now and, um, I moved the operation to Sugarland in about the year two thousand. Built uh, one hangar there. Built another one, and then they purchased two more hangars after that. And I I left there, sold the company a few years ago, and. Um, and then stayed on as a president for a while, and I uh, just left there as president about two years ago. And uh, I have another company called Anderson Jet, where we do consulting and such as that okay. for aircraft people. Now, um, when y'all expanded out in Sugarland, there's a um, an infamous property y'all took control over, and I want you to share that story because it has to do with a uh, a Ponzi scheme guy by the name of Alan Stanford. Mm-hmm. And so, share a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that hangar was across from uh, the hangars that I built initially, 
and um, he was a very secretive guy. They would come in and taxi the aircraft into the hangar and then close the doors after they shut the engines down so no one can see what they're doing or who was on the airplane. No telling. And, yeah, and so he came up. Obviously, he went to jail, and uh, it, became, it was a seizure by the U.S. government. It wasn't right. a regular sale. I had saw a documentary on Alan Stanford, and what he did, I want to say he, he marketed to Central and South American mm-hmm. investors, and he would always advertise uh, interest on people's money at just a little bit more than what the banks were offering. Not a lot more to, to uh, red flag people, but just a little bit more. And it was enough for him to um, run a very impressive uh, a Ponzi scheme that uh, built a lot of people out of their money. And and he, he could have gone um, a long time, but I believe it was uh, during one of the crashes that everything was revealed. And it's usually, I know Warren Buffett says, you can you, you'll, you always know who's naked when the water, water recedes, uh, like you're in the water. But anyway... <clears throat> Yeah, he um, he went to jail, and I believe he got beat up when he was in jail. There was a couple, mm-hmm. there was a couple of stories that uh, he had kind of attacked. But so you took you took control of that hangar, and you actually uh, when you bid it on it, you were not the low bidder or the high bidder, should I say? No, yes, it was. It took two years to buy the hangar because it was just a lot of red tape with lawyers and such. Since the government actually took it over, and um, got a good deal on it. Say again? You got a good deal on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good deal. And all the furniture is very high-end furniture and uh, office uh, desks and such as that. He even and had he had an apartment in the back, too, with his own a, king-size bed and everything. Had his, uh, his office, which became my office, which is the nicest office I ever had. And his office, and right behind that office was a big uh, bedroom, king-size bed, nice bathroom with a shower, and also right in another door from that was a huge workout room. And uh, with all high-end equipment in it. And um, it took about two years to buy the hangar, as I said. And uh, even though we were the, not the highest bidder, we were the, the airport itself had the last say-so on who bought the hangar. And we, we got the hangar, of course, since we were actually in the aviation business and brought a lot of revenue to the city, right. which is what they're also interested in. Now, does the um, so what you operated there under Western Airways is what's referred to as an FBO. But there's different style, different, and that stands for flight-based operations. And an FBO, um, there's different levels of those, correct? Yeah, an FBO stands for fixed base oh, operation. Fixed base. Okay. And that's um, normally they sell fuel and maybe hangar rent and, and uh, such as that. Our operation was not considered an FBO. We were a, an aircraft management and um, charter company okay. and maintenance company. Like Starflight? So yes. Okay. And uh, we were the biggest uh, in Houston for many, many years and probably still are considered the biggest. And um, um, so we do actually everything, maintenance, charter, manage aircraft, and um, have an avionics shop. We're a Garmin Garmin dealer, a U.S. uh, uh, avionics dealer and such as that. So we're the biggest company still in Houston, I believe. Very cool. So uh, have you ever had any close calls? You don't have to admit it if you don't want what to. What do you mean, with flight attendants or what? No, no, no. close calls, <laughs> hitting the ground hard. Uh, got, no, no don't, don't, don't mention it because I don't no, want to no, run the story. I, exactly. <laughs> no. uh, but So there was a story just uh, a day or two ago about that A380 Emirates flight into Moscow. Did you see that? No. It came in too low, and uh, it was only like 400 feet above the ground before the pilot 
was uh, recognized or realized what was happening. And uh, apparently the tower had a difficult time communicating to him in English and had to repeat or call him like three different times. But it almost crashed in a neighborhood, an A380. Yeah, it just came really? out. The story just came out, although it happened several months ago. Uh, they're just now revealing all the details about it. But it came too too close for comfort. There was 400 and something passengers on that plane. Wow. And that would have been obviously the first A380 to uh, to crash. An A380 is a double-decker. It's, it's a the, big airplane. Yeah, it's a big airplane. I flew on an A380 from Houston on Lufthansa and uh, on um, Emirates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's really cool. It's a cool plane. It's huge, but uh, so so what do you miss most about flying? Because you you're not flying now. No, if I'd fly now, it's just for fun, right? Uh, but all my career has always been as a commercial pilot, always for a living. So really, never did much. Uh, just pleasure flying, right? Um, I had a lake house in Austin for many years, and I, that's about the extent of my personal flying. I would fly up there. On the weekend, sometimes with my daughter when she was growing up, and um, take friends with us, and like to water ski and all that. And um, so, what I miss about it probably is just it's just fun to fly. Right. You know, we make used to joke that we still do as 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 uh, commercial pilots that we don't get paid to fly; we get paid to stay on the ground and do things like that. A hold when there's a flight for three days, we get we're paid to do that. Right. We fly yeah. for free. Yeah, it's so much it, fun. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, in the private charter world, I mean, if people fly to an island, um, the Bahamas, the, the Virgin Islands, or what yeah. have you, I mean, you get to stay out there, and and all the all the uh, room and board, all the uh, travel mm-hmm. costs are, are passed along. So, yeah, it's it's a great way to enjoy life, see the world. Um, if you if you can get the gig, it, it's it's a fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, to get to that level is is not easy, and um, takes time. Takes a lot of time, and uh, but it's nothing a bigger kick than to take off on a nice morning, when the weather's nice and the sun's just coming up, and you're in a nice jet. Everything's working fine. People in the back are happy, and take off and blast through the clouds, up through the fog or whatever, and see the sunshine. I've really enjoyed taking people on their first flight in a private jet. That's been a lot of mm-hmm. fun, and I've taken a lot of our team members and our executive team, and, and just friends and and veterans and the people like that. And, and I'll tell you, it's, there's nothing like seeing their face experience that because yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it truly is unique. And I hope to, to fly others, uh, get them in the air and let them experience it as well. I think everybody should to get to experience at least once. Um, if you were uh, talking to a 17-year-old George Dodge that was interested in uh, getting into aviation, what would be the first thing you'd tell them? I would probably tell them to um, – yeah, to go in the military if they could, because trying to achieve the ratings and the experience, uh, especially all the ratings required, and is not cheap. And to try to do that on your own, right? Shorten the learning curve process, basically. Yes. Yeah. And so, if you can do the military, that would be good. And if you come out of that alive, then uh, you have some good benefits of that. Well, people that walk up to me want to get in the restaurant business, and and let's say they've never worked in it, uh, and that's the first question I ask them, Mm -hmm. have you ever worked in a restaurant? Let's start there first. And um, if they say no, I would would tell them, don't even attempt it unless you go work in a restaurant first to see what what all is involved. So you have a better understanding and appreciation should you want to continue moving forward. But yeah, you you want to get as much experience as you can off the dime of other people, because you know, it goes back to even uh, learning from the mistakes of other people. You could never learn 
all of them yourself in your lifetime. So it's better to learn through the mistakes of others first mm-hmm. and study those. But um, well, very cool. Um, I want to ask you a silly question now, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Has, has anyone ever attempted to join the Mile High Club on one of your flights? Okay, yeah. you don't have. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so yes in the short end. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. But two or three through the years have, and, uh, um, and I would imagine there's some have done it that I didn't know about. You know, <laughs> with, say, the cockpit door closed in there. Right. Things going on in the back we didn't know, but uh, especially when you're uh, at you know forty something thousand feet and you're experiencing turbulence, you don't understand why yeah. you're experiencing turbulence. Perfect, <laughs> so. Perfectly smooth flight. Also, it gets rough, right? Well, anyway, well, George, um, thank you for coming out um, to Laporte. I really appreciate uh, you doing that, and also really um, have enjoyed knowing you and calling you a friend. And I like people that I believe that shoot straight. You know, and, and uh, there's nothing, you don't put up any airs about yourself. And I just think you're a, a genuinely nice person that uh, I wish I'd gotten to know sooner in my life. You know, but hey, you know, you can't, you can't go back and change the past. But, you know, moving forward, uh, I want to continue this, mm-hmm. this relationship. And, and I know I'll see you again soon at the Oak Room yep. here, in, here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've also enjoyed meeting your buddy, uh, Gary Peterson. He seems to be a very fine individual yeah, as well. Good guy. And, uh, yeah, you know, it don't take long to figure out what kind of people uh, someone is, what kind of person an individual is just by being around them for a little bit. I'm sure you're a pretty good uh, uh, discerner of, of individuals. And, and so, anyway, I just want to say that thank you again, and it's been a pleasure. Well, I would like to also say that uh, thank you for having me out here. It's been a joy. But I want people to know, if they don't know you very well, that I also I consider you one of my best friends gotten to know you in the past couple of years you of course uh, are one of the 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 gentlemen that i've met in my lifetime that i would say i admire the things you've done most people don't realize what you've done to build this operation and you've got quite an operation here and so i do admire you for that and i'm glad to call you my friend well thank you thank you so much um we are definitely a a, a team of a lot of individuals who are very passionate about people and obviously our product, and um, that's why where we're at. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. And so, uh, but anyway, well, thank you so much. And it seems like it's going to be a beautiful day. So uh, get out. Hey, I didn't see a rainbow over there. How about that? Really? Well, yeah. So anyway, well, thank you, everyone, for joining me again. Uh, Ten minutes with the Master Enchilada Roller. This one took a little longer, 26 minutes. But, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. Share it with a friend if you did. And I want to thank Derek uh, Ibarra for uh, putting this together, my producer. And um, talk from there, George. Okay, thanks.